Live from the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago, Illinois, this is the Bug House Podcast. Bug House is a production of LiterateApe.com. The following podcast was recorded live on December 4th, 2017 and featured artists Chris Churchill, Adrian Brown, Drew Love, David Himmel, Don Hall, and Dana German. They say that democracy is a marketplace of ideas. And if we go with that metaphor, I think it's easy to understand how American citizenry have become the shittiest salesmen of ideas imaginable. I see in my mind's eye, all of America is now the mall of America, and everybody selling things is screaming at each other. And the guy from Spencer's Gifts, when you decide not to buy the plastic dog shit, calls you a libtard race trader. And the guy at the sunglasses hut says, no, no, all sunglasses matter. It's just become this screaming at each other kind of thing. Now, what we at Literate Ape decided to do was to reach back into our history. A little more than a century ago, Washington Square Park was dubbed Bughouse Square. And it was called Bughouse Square because it was a meeting place for radicals and revolutionaries and free thinkers. And they would get up on soapboxes, actual boxes that they transported soap in, and they would sit and they would debate the issues of the day. A little more than 100 years later, we are in the Haymarket, aptly named Pub and Brewery, and this is Bug House. So here's what you're going to see. We have three issues of the day that we are going to debate, and six radicals and free thinkers that are going to present their sides of the argument. None of them had a choice in which side of the argument they were going to be given. I hand it to them, which is why we call it the art of the dialectic. It's just like that debate class maybe you took where you had to debate something maybe you agreed with or didn't agree with. That's not the point. The point is, can you argue the point persuasively? Our three topics are, in order that we will hear them, toxic masculinity, Nature or nurture? <laughs> okay. Gun control, all or nothing? <laughs> and the most important issue of our day, we've all dealt with it every day, is do these pants make my ass look fat? Okay. Three topics. So, I was given the uh, topic uh, that I'm supposed to prove to you that it is part of the nature of those who are toxically masculine that, uh, that they would be toxically masculine. And uh, because we live in the future, I'll be checking my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy right here for my notes. Um, so, uh, the definition of toxic masculinity, we do need to get that out of the way. Uh, it's basically, uh, one of the definitions I found that's really good, toxic masculinity is a narrow uh, and repressive description of manhood. Designating manhood is defined by violent sex, status, and aggression. Um, yeah, I've also heard uh, a little bit of homophobia thrown in there too. Um, the uh, 
for me, it's like the tendency of some of the, some of the men in modern society to exhibit behaviors such as violence, misogyny, and, uh, and even homophobia. So the question is whether those men in society would be considered toxically masculine. Uh, and uh, are, are they that way uh, because of their physical nature, or because they were trained? Well, let me tell you something. Uh, I met my wife 25 years ago, okay? I'm, uh, I'm a lot older than I look. I'm a very, very young looking man. I met my wife 25 years ago, and uh, she kind of had to tell me about myself. Um, she's five feet tall, and I am not. I am six feet tall, 5'11". Uh, um, and she informed me that I was big, and I hadn't really considered that. Men, two women, are larger and stronger and louder, more prone to make a mess, more prone to cause a disaster, right? And most of us have no idea that that's the case, right? So my wife had to, when I first met her, because I was so deeply in love, we were in that honeymoon phase, I was listening to everything she said, she explained to me about that aspect of men. She also explained to me that the reason why she went to a private all-girls school is because boys are jerks, in general. Boys, doesn't matter whether they're the good boys or bad boys. If the question is asked in class and they raise their hand, they get called on, right? Because they're loud, because they're obnoxious, right? So. That was the first indication I had that maybe there's something wrong with men from the get-go. Now, let me go over here. What do we got here? We got that. <laughs> so, you know what that is? That is, of course, a seahorse. And uh, I, I want to give you a little bit of uh, really exciting super facts about nature, okay? That's the male seahorse. Did you know that the male seahorse is the one that gets pregnant, is the one that brings the babies to term. And look, he doesn't even look like he's in pain. He's cool with it. He's like, hey, you're Dave. Like, that's, that's what he said to the other seahorse there. He's like, welcome to the ocean. <laughs> uh, I'll leave that up there, actually, for, for just a second. Um, my magic phone here has a list of nine, I was able to find nine matriarchal animals. They're animals in, out in the world who are matriarchal. Whole website dedicated to matriarchal animals, or a whole story. Honeybees, that makes sense, right? All the bees, with the, they all serve the queen, right? Killer whales, I didn't even know that. The orcas are all, it's a female-dominated study. Elephants, mole rats, meerkats, ants, that makes sense. Spotted hyenas, did you know about that? Spotted hyenas, the, the female spotted hyenas are so dominant that their junk is almost as big as the man's junk. It's, and it's on the outside, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, and also lions, we know that lions are, are, are matriarchal, the, the, the females run the pride, and the man just kind of circles and makes sure that the pride's okay, right, you know? And, and bonobos, you, know, you guys know what a bonobo is? It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an illiterate ape is what it is. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, an, an ape that split off from the chimps about a million years ago. It's matriarchal. Um, so, let me just talk about this real quick. Uh, male lions, we know about the male lions even in that matriarchal society, the male lions are jerks. They're, they're terrible people, the male lions. They will occasionally, when one male lion is killed by another male lion, he'll go in there, he won't just become stepdad, he'll become stepdad and then he'll kill all the kids. He'll kill all the baby lions. Like, that's my DNA here. Nobody but mine. And that's how the DNA goes 
from this generation to the next. The loser doesn't get to advance, right? Um, so that's, that's the way that is. Let me see what we got on the next slide here. Oh, look at that. That is the bonobos. The bonobos I was telling you about that split off. So I, I, I do have to tell you, uh, the bonobos and the chimps are humanity's closest, uh, they are humanity's closest relatives genetically. We share 98% of our DNA with bonobos and chimps. We split off from bonobos and chimps somewhere between four and eight million years ago, according to best estimates, right? So why am I mentioning this, right? Okay, so bonobos have a lovely society. Um, it's, it's run by women, but everything is about sex. All of it is about sex. They say hello by having sex. They say goodbye by having sex. They make up uh, after a fight by having sex. And as you can see, bonobos, unlike chimps, they face each other. Their genitals are lined up in such a way that it feels better for them to face each other. Isn't that something? So like us. <laughs> On the other hand, chimps will fucking kill you. Uh, it has been shown in recent uh, studies of chimp, uh, chimps in the wild that not only will they kill their enemy, but they will, uh, they will organize and they will actually wage warfare against other chimps. So we're not, we're not much different than that. And they are a patriarchal uh, society, okay? Chimps are patriarchal. They're led by the males. I think I'm gonna keep this up here for just a second. Yeah. All right, so what, what does this have to do with anything? I'm gonna read you a couple of uh, excerpts from a couple of articles I found. From a recent, um, from a recent ed edited volume called Sexual Coercion in Primates and Humans by Martin Muller and Richard Wrangham. Um, males in a number of primate species appear to use force or the threat of force to coerce unwilling females to mate with them. Although the utility of this distinction has been disputed, there is no doubt that sexual coercion is a potentially important mechanism of mating bias within the broad framework of sexual conflict theory. I don't know what that means, but we're moving on. There are three forms of sexual coercion. There's harassment, intimidation, and forced copulation, or as it's called in humans, it's called rape, okay? And basically what it says is that at least for these three species, sexual coercion has been selected as an, adapted, an adaptive strategy in male sexual behavior. It means the men who do terrible things get to have kids. The male chimps who are terrible, who are violent, who are sexually coercive, who are toxically masculine, get to have more kids. That's just nature right here. So, right here. <laughs> That's a CEO, okay? Not really, that is uh, Christian Bale, isn't it? Uh, but didn't he play a CEO in something? So, um, it turns out, you may have heard some other recent studies about psychopaths, right? So if you look at what makes up someone's, uh, what makes someone toxically masculine and what makes someone a psychopath, very similar, okay? It's very egocentric, very about themselves, it lack, they lack empathy. They just do what they need to get their shit done, right? Okay? CEOs, it turns out, according to recent studies, are somewhere between four and 20 times more likely to be psychopaths than the rest of us. 
it makes a good CEO. Those are successful humans, okay? Those are the ones most likely to pass on their genes to the next group, okay? So it's possibly as many as one in five CEOs are psychopaths, which is again, evidence, and of course in science there is no proof, there is just evidence that supports the, the thesis that that is an adaptive advantage. Psychopathic behavior, which works out to be toxic masculinity in this case, is, is the deal. Now, the only thing we have in modern society to save us from toxic masculinity are rules and laws. And as you can see, how to not get fucked, written by God. God wrote that, okay? So those are laws. And of course, it's not just the Ten Commandments, Hammurabi's Code, all these different cultures in history. They've all had codes. And they all had them to protect the rest of us from the toxically masculine, from the rapists and murderers, those who don't give a shit about any of you. That's what the laws are there to protect us from, okay? So, um, what happened is, this is fairly recent, okay? That anybody would have laws. Think about the fact that uh, humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years. We only broke off from the chimps four million years ago, but laws like this only go back to about 4,000 years ago. So, that protection from the psychopaths, from the toxically masculine, has only been uh, like a blink of an eye in the evolutionary, from an evolutionary standpoint, okay? So, <laughs> laws and morality, laws and morality will affect evolution, but they haven't done much to do it yet. So far, they have made it so that a good number of normal people who don't like killing and murdering and raping and, and, and things, They've gotten to actually pass on their genes thanks to everybody agreeing to laws and morality, right? That kind of fights against uh, the whole toxic masculinity thing. So it's starting to happen. But right now, we're not quite there, okay? For those number of people who are still out there carrying some of that chimp DNA or that chimp ancestor DNA, it's pretty much locked in. It's, it's there. It makes you part chimp. And I would say that this is what we have to do. <laughs> we all have inner, ch inner children, right? We have to train our inner ape. Some of us have more ape in our DNA than others. Some of us have more chimp in our DNA than others in terms of behavior standards. Some of us have more bonobo than others. But we have to train it. But what that means is we start from the platform of being violent. Uh, those of us who, I say those of us, not me, I'm good, I'm awesome. Um, but those humans who are, those males who are toxically masculine, they have to have it trained out of them. You cannot, you don't necessarily train them to be toxically masculine. You have to train it out of them. You have to make people be good. Anyway, um, I don't think there's a whole lot more I have to say. I think I got most of it. Let's see if there's anything else. No? Uh, that indicates that you should come see this show. I'm glad you're here. Um, I don't think there's anything much more I have to say. Uh, and I went way over, so thank you. Yeah. Chris Churchill, Toxic Mass Wing is all nature. And now, to rebut 
Mr. Churchill's uh, nature-oriented thing, Adrian Brown. Give her a hand. I don't have a dick, but... How can we be so sure? As a 5'11 person, I feel personally attacked. Oh you know, my gosh. You know? <laughs> you know? But it's okay. I just feel like a bunch of animals just need the shit slapped out of them is what I got from that presentation. <laughs> but, but that's just how I feel, obviously. So, nurture. Toxic masculinity. It's nurtured into that group of people who feel the need to act that way. And I felt like the best way for me to express that thought and that mindset to you was to tell a story or better yet, read you a letter that I have written to someone who was very special to me. So I'm gonna read that letter for you on my opinions, assigned or not, on toxic masculinity. <laughs> to my dearest future little nephew, parents and loved ones alike fill their dreams with thoughts of what a new bundle of joy will bring to their lives, what they will accomplish, who they will love, who they'll take after in the looks department. Well, future little nephew, I have met your father and a lot of his family members, so trust me when I tell you that you will pop out of that pussy with the eyebrows of a young Brooke Shields. <laughs> the lips of any beautiful black woman you ever see walking down the street and the cheekbones of every winner of every season of RuPaul's Drag Race ever aired combined. If your mother and father are any indication, you will be 5'6 on a good day, 5'4 when it rains. And even though short people usually make me nervous, and they do because you down there and I can't hear what the fuck you're saying, you know? It's like, you about to chop me at the ankles? You about to ask me to dinner? I'm confused, just grow. <laughs> It's like, for you, little nephew, even though you're short, I will hug you and love you, and every single day, so will our entire family. Everybody, except for Uncle Juju. <laughs> Uncle Juju will look at your Grace Jones-esque high cheekbones, and then look at his flat, stepped on with a Doc, Mar Doc Martin looking ass face. <laughs> and right then and there, he will decide that it is his sole responsibility to make you a man. Now, the mere thought of Uncle Juju trying to make someone a man is laughable, if only because Uncle Juju's been in and out of jail since 85. <laughs> so as far as his ass is concerned, a man is someone who makes his wine in a toilet, answers to a six-digit number, and sees his mama every Easter Sunday, but only after a guard with a popsicle stick done stuck in the back of her throat looking for blades, keys, and contraband. What a way to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uncle Juju ain't shit. So, oh, my dear nephew, the fact that you will be born a male does not mean that you will naturally be dominating. It does not mean that you will automatically be born with the dumbass notion that the man of the household has to make the most money. After you are born, they will put you in a room with other newborn children. And no, my sweet nephew, you will not Feel the sudden need to identify and separate your bottom bitch from your street bitch. <laughs> In the months to come when your mother feeds you strained peas and mushed carrots, you will not instinctively throw them in her face only to scream out, ho, where's my big ass piece of chicken? 
You will be born into love. You will be surrounded by love and you will be taught by love. You will feel beautiful and safe in your own baby skin. You will laugh, you will learn, and you will grow. And as much as we try to stop it, one day you will meet your Uncle Juju. Because you can't choose your family. And this motherfucker gets out of jail every nine to 18 months or so. Oh, my dear sweet nephew, why? Why will you listen to him? He is a 48-year-old man with a prepaid flip cell phone and a one-way pager. His electricity is in his mama's name and so are his child support payments. He spends all day talking about real men watch sports and real men drink beer. But watch this though, last Christmas, I caught his ass in the back room doing the original choreography for Cell Block Tango from the Broadway hit Chicago, drinking a chilled mascara from a champagne glass with a cherry at the bottom. Your Uncle Juju ain't shit, all right? <laughs> Baby nephew, he will teach you that the only way to heal your manhood after a girl rejects you is to call her an ugly bitch, a hoe, a slut. But I promise you that those things, those words will not make you feel any better. They will only make you feel worse. He will teach you that the real men fight and only pussies walk away. But I am here to tell you that sometimes real men have to fight and sometimes real men get to just walk away. And side note, pussies are for eating, but that's not a conversation I can comfortably nor legally have with you at this point in time. <laughs> Uncle Juju talks a lot of shit about what real men say and what real men do, but that's because a man in his life tricked him into believing this is how real men walk and how real men talk. And please believe a man in that man's life sold him on the lie that this is how real men feel and how real men hit. Because somewhere down the line, a bunch of bullshit men decided to do a bunch of bullshit shit. And now it's 2017 and some men are still doing and saying any and everything, no matter how violent, hurtful, or hateful it may be, to try to regain just the feeling of having and holding any type of control or power in their own lives. <laughs> and also because your Uncle Juju ain't shit. <laughs> My dear sweet, beautiful future nephew, yes, this is too much to throw at you, but I have to throw it at you because you're going to be born with such happiness and love and confidence. And one day too soon, someone is going to try to take that away from you. Someone is going to try to tell you that you have to act, talk, walk, live, hit, yell, force, be a certain type of way to be a man. And when that day comes, I pray that we have surrounded you in so much love and self-worth that you just stare that person down and yell and scream and cry at the top of your lungs. Kiss my perfectly manly enough ass Uncle Juju, you old jail bitch ass, toilet wine drinking ass little bitch. Love, Auntie Adrian. All right. Nature versus nurture, judge. Who wins that bout? The tax expedient. All right, very good. Adrian Brown wins the match. Know that it is de de definitively decided that toxic masculinity is all due to nurture.
Ladies and gentlemen, Drew Love, give him a hand. Thank you. Friends, Romans countrymen, lend me your ear. For I've come not to bury David, but to praise him. It was 1983. I was 11 years old. I'm on a wall behind the arcade, shaking my cans and doing my graffiti. Shh. I hear a car come down the alley. As it's rushing down the alley, I hear Sucker MC, Sucker MC by Run DMC. Mm -hmm. It's a 1980 Regal. It's got Dayton's on. It rushes past me, and all I hear is a voice, and the voice says, hey, fool, where you from? I said, oh, fuck. I turn around in hopes that, damn, I hope this ain't the day I'm getting jacked, I'm getting fucked up. I turn around. They said, hey, foo, where are you from? The second voice pops his head out the window, and it's my brother boxer, Alex. I breathe a sigh. I said, oh, fuck, thank God, bro. I thought it was somebody else. He immediately says, hey, bro, get in the car, Drew. I grab my bags, and I grab the can of my cans. I throw them in the bag, and I get in the car. Now, in the car is Dreamer and Joker. My cousin Dreamer is driving, Joker's a buddy of ours, and Boxer, my brother. I look at my brother and I said, what's up, bro, where are we going? He says, oh, bro, we're gonna go take care of business and retaliate. I said, retaliate, retaliate against who, bro? He goes, what they did to Droopy. Now Droopy, little Droopy as they called him, was my cousin Caesar. A week before, he had gotten stabbed 17 motherfucking times with a Rambo knife, and he lived. So there he is laid up in the hospital bed and we're about to go get some retaliation. Now I'm 11 years old, I'm sitting in the back, I look at my brother who's older, I said, what the fuck is going on? He says, don't worry about it, it's cool. Dreamer, as he slips off, says, hey bro, today you're gonna become a man. And he passes me a dark, black, heavy object. Now I know what it is once I have it in my hand. And he goes, bro, you're going to handle this and you're going to become a man and you're going to get revenge for your cousin Caesar. First of all, I don't even like that motherfucker. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the car. We hit the block three times. There's a quinceanera that's happening, a party, there's music, and it's festive. I see kids. I see old ladies. I see grandfathers, grandmothers. And as we start to slowly come through and come in, Dreamer turns over and he says, right when we get to that section, homie, I want you to start blasting. Now imagine, I've got this motherfucking gun. I'm looking at my brother, I said, are you serious, bro? Because man, I'm a graffiti artist. I've been a graffiti artist all my life. Here I am doing graffiti. Now I've got a gun in my motherfucking hands and I've got to make a choice. So we slowly come in as the music turns down. Dreamer's like, you ready, fool? You ready? My brother's sitting there. Joker's like, yeah, fool, just blast on him, bro, blast on him. I put the gun out in the window. As we go, they say, now, I can, I freeze. They say, shoot, fool, shoot. I freeze. I said, no, I, I can't. My brother says, come on, bro, just shoot. Fuck it, just shoot. But I can't. 
See, because all that was coming through my motherfucking mind at that time was, what the fuck am I doing in this car and how can I get out? I just want to finish my piece. And they're screaming, you're a fucking pussy. Just do it. I said, fuck no, I ain't doing it. That joker says, fuck you. We're going to fuck you up, puto, if you don't do it. I said, you ain't fucking nobody up. I pulled a gun back. I said, drop me the fuck off. And I point this gun. My brother's like, what the fuck you doing? I said, drop me the fuck off. And he dropped me off on that next corner. Fuck you, puto. We're going to get you later. You're a bitch. As they drove off. But let me tell you something, bro. To this motherfucking day, the choice I made to not shoot an innocent person just because it wasn't the gun, it was the man. And as I stand here today as a man, it's the best motherfucking choice I made. Again, I'm not here to bury David. I'm all about the Second Amendment and freedom. It ain't about the gun, man. It's about the choice. It's about the accountability behind the motherfucking choice. I stand corrected. I made the right choice. Peace. One side of the argument. Now we go to the other side of the argument. We're going to start with a video. See that? Do you see how that, that guy, that hero, saved Christmas? <laughs> he was a witness to a threat? That Mogwai, that Mogwai was going to steal that balance bike and ruin some little girl's Christmas. But our hero was there with his weapon acting as a true and brave American, exercising his right to bear arms, made sure that whatever little girl was gonna get that balance bike was going to get that motherfucking balance bike. <laughs> now yes, I know what you just watched wasn't real. <laughs> we all know that Gizmo prefers bows and arrows because we've all seen Gremlins 2. With the... <laughs> if you haven't seen Gremlins 2 tonight, go see Gremlins 2. However, the staging of what you saw was a very real possible threat that could happen in anyone's home. Any vandal could break into your home and take your Christmas gifts, your money, your iPad, 
your jewelry, your children, your spouse or partner or Tinder hookup. No. And there's a good chance that they'll have a weapon. And if that weapon is a firearm, wouldn't you want to be able to fight fire with fire? And if the weapon is a knife, wouldn't it feel great to have the upper hand and bring a gun to a knife fight? Let me present you with something to consider here. How many mass shootings have been prevented or stopped before the bad guy could inflict any damage? Just think about that for a second. Count them up in your head. The answer, of course, is none. Not a single one. Not even the police can prevent a mass shooting. And that's because police usually aren't on the scene of a mass shooting until the body count has reached its zenith. Now, we can't say for certain that mass shootings wouldn't be stopped if we all were packing our own heat. But consider for a moment the most recent mass shooting in Texas at the church outside of San Antonio. There were two regular citizens, just like you and I, who did draw their weapons and may have prevented the shooter from doing any more harm. We're not sure. We know he had already exited the church, but that doesn't mean he wasn't going to head off into another intended target. Those men are heroes. They're Bruce Willis in Die Hard. They're any character played by John Wayne or Jimmy Stewart in his later years. They are cowboys defending the people from the wild, untamed American experiment. Yes, that's what this is. Our current time in history is not much different than the mid to late 19th century when cowboys and cowgirls or cow folks with a fucking X for some reason where cow folks reigned supreme. The days when nearly everyone had a six-shooter on their hip at least. This was how the West was won. Protection against threats. The ability to quickly stand up and defend yourself, your family, your livestock, your slave, and your pet Native American from tyranny. America was a young, uncertain place, either on the brink of civil war, in the midst of it, or recovering from its horrors. Today, we appear to be on the brink once again. And with mass shootings occurring almost every month, it's the fourth today, aren't we due for a December shoot-up? Yeah. We have to be prepared. Now, firearms, they're complicated machines designed for one purpose, which is destruction. In order to have a society of free and safer peoples, we must understand the firearm and respect its power and the responsibility that comes with having one. And that's why everyone should have a firearm. But there should be rules. Firearm education will be mandatory in all schools beginning in third grade. <laughs> this is where every child will learn the basics of firearm handling and maintenance. They start with a wheel gun, then bolt-action rifles. Then they can move on to handheld magazine pistols. Cleaning, safety handling, shooting with accuracy, scenario training. At age 16, just like when kids get their license to operate a vehicle, they will then take the necessary steps to obtain a license to own and operate a firearm. And similar to being a driver, the weapons owner must undergo rigorous training and testing before being approved for a firearm license. When all training is completed and all tests are passed, the user again, like with being a driver, will have to register with the state, obtain insurance, and be required to renew the license every few years, each time requiring a new test. This is different than how we currently manage driver's license, but that's okay, 
Because even though auto accidents kill more people than firearms annually in the United States, guns are scarier, I get that. Okay. Now, if you don't pass a test, you don't get the weapon of your choice. You're stuck with your third grade pea shooting wheel gun. Now, you can always steal a weapon, steal something bigger and better without a license, but when you do, be ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone who also, or who does have a license and is well-trained in the art of bringing your ass down. And it won't be a cop, because cops are never there when you need them. But you know who is there when you need them? Cowboys. You. You're there when you need them, okay? Evil cannot be thwarted permanently. And I'm not so foolish to think that if we are all packing, that it will mean the end of gun violence or mass shootings. But I am confident that it will reduce the carnage we've witnessed thus far. It's a numbers game. If some screwball wants to shoot up a concert or a school or a church, and every potential target is carrying a sidearm, that screwball will be outnumbered, outflanked, and outgunned. He will lose. Lives will be saved. We will win. And everyone will be required to wear Kevlar vests. Everyone will have to wear a Kevlar vest when in public, whether you're carrying or not, which you'll have to be doing. These are the rules. This is gun control. It's kind of like a seatbelt in the car or a helmet on a motorcycle. It's a good extra step to take to ensure your safety should any accidents with your firearm occur. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers. <laughs> for thought, all or nothing, judge, who wins this debate? Oh, this is hard. He's thinking about it. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, spray walls, not brains. <laughs> all right, do love, do love. There once was a boy. This boy was born on a naval base in Tennessee, and his first crib was a dresser drawer on said base. The boy's mother was 16 years old when he was spawned upon the naval base. Unbeknownst to the boy or his mother, he was bequeathed DNA that included a hereditary propensity for addiction, spinal meningitis, and weight gain. All the men on the boy's father's side grew fat, most exemplified by pot bellies and early heart attacks. But the boy didn't know this. Neither did his mother. As he grew, he got the meningitis out of the way when he was five years old and survived intact. Today's healthcare industry would have either let him simply die or bankrupt his family for the rest of his life. But the family was broke anyway and the Republicans hadn't set their sights on Medicare yet, so the point was moot. <laughs> As I said, the family was frequently on the low end of the economic chain. His mother could be found working one of three jobs most of the time, and in order to make sure there was enough food on the table for he and his sister, often would split TV dinners in half to stretch them out for two nights. A staple dish was what she called Spanish rice. A concoction of minute rice, a green pepper, ketchup, and Tabasco that the boy learned to loathe despite shoveling it into his gaping maw like a man in prison. <laughs> it was not always like this. Once in a while, the tiny family of three would go to Shakey's Pizza, 
a 1970s precursor to Chuck E. Cheese with a giant automated pipe organ and skee-ball. And they would eat enough buffet-style pizza to feed a water buffalo if water buffalo ate pans of thin crust with pepperoni. <laughs> In this feast or famine existence, the boy developed an odd relationship with food. One day, while shopping for clothes at J.C. Penney, it became obvious that the boy could not wear the pants of normal boys, but needed to wear what was marketed as husky jeans. His mother assured him that these jeans were for muscular boys with strong thighs. The boy could see through her ruse and knew that he was a fat boy, and the boy felt shame. Eventually, the boy grew in adolescence, and the weight spread across his frame. While still larger than most of the young men in his school, he was no longer considered fat, but given that he was artsy and not athletic, he still found his gut growing at, with each after-school convening of the gang to play Dig Dug and eat bags of taco-flavored Doritos and liter bottles of Mountain Dew for dinner. The boy eventually became a man and moved to Chicago. Wow. He drank a lot. He ate whole large pizzas by himself. His indoctrination of his days as a broke boy caused him to eat every meal as if it was a Shakey's pizza day. And the man grew whiter. Upon graduating high school, his waist size was 32 inches. Graduating college, it had grown slightly to 34 inches. By the time he was 25 years old, he was wearing a 36-inch belt. At 35, he was waddling around with a 40-inch waist and took to wearing painter's pants because they were loose and never tucked in his shirt so his low-hanging pot belly seemed less apparent. At 41, the man's waist had peaked at 42 inches. Like the moment he was confronted with the J.C. Penney Husky jeans. He knew that he'd become that which he could no longer abide when he went to an old navy to buy pants and asked for his size. The woman behind the counter looked very serious as she told him that maybe he should try a big and tall store because old navy didn't carry pants that big. At that, the man reached into his cheese and bacon-filled soul. <laughs> and pulled the inner boy up and told him to stop. Time to shape up or simply go pantsless and never see his penis over his expansive <laughs> belly ever again. He became a gym rat. He worked out. He ate less. In two years, he lost 80 pounds, and his waist size shrunk back to 32 inches. He is now 51 years old. His waist size I wrote 33 and a half, but it's really 34 because they don't do half sizes. His pants fit, and he can buy them anywhere. And he still eats like he's at Shakey's Pizza, but he balances it with a constant nagging fear of being a fat ass. <laughs> because it ain't the pants, my friends. It's the boy. Thank you. Say that. Dana German. Oh, don't worry. There's more coming. There's more of that, friends. There's more coming. Are you ready? 
you tell me when you want to? Uh, yes! I've had this in my head since I started to write this piece. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Come on. You knew it! You read Blood American Jew. There's no discussing this topic without the staple 90s jam jumping right out of your head. Just doing you a favor right now. Thank you. All right, now that we have Sir Mix-a-Lot out of the way, <sighs> perhaps it's called a butt, because it's always interrupting, isn't it? With its taboos about dirtiness and fetishy naughtiness, amongst other unmentionables. Well, let's interrupt back the other way, shall we? Because you see with the phrase, do these pants make my ass look fat? The pants are the primary noun. That's right, the offending actor, the radical in question, pants. <laughs> it's a simple argument, and the culprit is fashion. It is 100% all about the clothes. Case in point, I want you to clap it up a little bit if you've ever tried on a pair of pants that didn't fit. Okay, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Uh, now clap it up if you've ever had a pair of pants blow out on you, meaning they've ripped up in the crotch or the leg or something, right? Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. You were there for that. Ah, uh, yeah, I was. Thanks, David. I can nearly rest my case right here. But that wouldn't be any fun, would it? Okay, so repeat after me. It's always the pants. It's always the pants. It's always the pants. It's always the pants. Thank you. There, now you have your own mantra, so you know it's got to be true. And speaking of mantras, if you would, please, uh, Maestro. Is this, is this yeah. Mr. Rogers? No. Is this the slideshow? This is the next Baby Got Back clip. Okay, well. Turn around. Stick it out. Stick it out. Even white boys got the shout. Baby Got Back. Baby Got Back. mantra for you. Okay, so to be fair, this song is about how a man looks at a woman's body. Is it not? Just like how the first page of results when Googling this question come up with links to advice for men about how to answer the question. Now, if we're going to talk about relationships, individual man whining aside, let's be real. This is a woman's issue. Is it not sympathetic, millennial, pink-wearing judge? It is. Sometimes, yes, your butt can be a pain in the ass. Great many of us have to worry about our asses looking flat, even. But put this in context. When we peep a derriere, are we seeing it in the flesh for the first time? Unless it's on your newborn baby, chances are, no. You're seeing it over jeans first. Or sweatpants, pockets on top of leather, or some sort of cloth <laughs> shape that's distorting the architecture underneath for better or for worse. Am I right? Clothes are, thankfully, hardly permanent. And so for this reason, I recommend changing them often and with both comfort and style in mind. I will concede this about dress. You can thank your lucky farts. We live in an age where fashion, looks and trends and expectations and the like has become simple enough to devolve 
into this gloriously stupid question to which the truest and only answer is, yes, yes, these pants, the jerks, make your ass look fat, they are fat pants. Is it any wonder yoga pants are a thing these days? If you wear just leggings and tight shit, it's gonna make your booty look like a booty. Naturally, the trouble remains. We have to get past the clothes to really see what's going on. Just as with makeup, clothes can provide a distortion of epic proportions. Uh, case in point, this reel of awesome photos about clothes, extending butts, or not accentuating them, as the case may be. personal favorite. Hey, it looks pretty good now, right? Uh, if only. <laughs> but hey, you know what? Anyway, what if you like it? That's the best scenario, isn't it? These pants make my ass pop, and I love it. All of us at least one time or another have had a rewarding and positive garment purchase, right? Am I right? What a glorious shopping experience as I can speak to having had with these very shorts I'm wearing right now. Now they're old and a little blown out. I've loved them a lot. Thank you, Topshop. You go into a store, you find yourself trying something on and knowing with a fair certainty that your own posterior looks a sight large in said garment and for that very reason, loving the hell out of it. Okay. Check it out. Go on. Go on. These shorts have pockets that are a little on the small side. And because of this, they make the whole backside look like a broadside. In modern marketing, so-called most alluring body image would say that it is, but it's still an illusion. Thankfully, within the medical profession, normal is a wide range. What your gluteus maximus says about you feeds into the bigger picture of biological, reproductively compatible information you're displaying to all those around you all the time. The big, beautiful peacock. <laughs> and another thing, you know what your own butt looks like. You do. Despite what you want to see, the mirror never lies to you. And that's because it knows if you can see with your heart then you're going to find the truth of what's there to be a whole lot more interesting. So now, dear audience, I'm going to give you an assignment. <laughs> See right there? Go home. Not right now, you know, later. And uh, shop your closet for that close-fitting pair of something you're not entirely sure about, but you keep around anyway for maybe's sake. You can pair it with something that you absolutely adore and cannot live without. And you can do this mentally right now if you like. Just choose quickly. Now, wear them out together one night, perhaps for one last huzzah, and let whatever makes you uncomfortable remind you of all the things you love about your body. Through this, you can enjoy a better understanding of how your body works its own particular one-of-a-kind magic to exude that incredible human shape only you live inside of. Fred Rogers once said, You're the only person who is
God says you, he also means your ass. <laughs> so get better duds, get out there, and show it off. Judge! And I do not, I'll show you my ass too. Plus, <laughs> can we get a side by side? Can we put the I like my butt song back on? Have a dance on There you go. I'm gonna have to go with realism over denial. Can you say which one's that? No, you have to tell us. It's not the pants, it's the person. Oh! I won one for the first time! my friends, is Bug House. Give our judge a hand. Give our performers a hand. Give our bartender tips. If you enjoy Bug House, let me tell you, there are two things you can do for me, and you don't have to do it now, but number one is, most of you have social media of some kind. Paul's not great at it, but he still has it. Um, and, and it's not hard, if you enjoyed the show, just go online or Twitter or Instagram or, not Snapchat, because that goes away, right? Okay, I don't like that shit, I don't get that at all. But uh, just let people know. Just let people know that you enjoyed the show, you saw Bug House, it was fun. The other thing is, go to literateape.com slash events, and you can see all about the events that we do. We're real proud of what we're doing, and uh, we hope, really, thank you. It's Monday night, you guys came all the way out of here. Thank God, it was the windy night before tomorrow morning where it's gonna be 30 degrees, and we'll get right back in. Now we're gonna get into winter. I hate to blow your bubble, but yeah, we're getting right back into winter. But stick around, have some drinks, eat some food, and enjoy the evening. Thank you so very much. Yeah.